Listeners, welcome back to Hossman FC. I'm Nicola Volpi, and I'm joined by Beckley's Beckham. It's Roy Cycli. Dangerous right foot. In fact, I got hurt all the time on my right foot. That's what Beckham, Beckham and I share in common. A Is bad that right specialist foot. as well? Yeah, man. Bend it like Beckham. I so think were, my athletic... Were you able to? My, I, no. But I did, you know, not to pat myself on the back. When I was 10, I did score off the, off the corner. So that was I, the highlight of my soccer career there. In swinger? In or swinger. Or with the outside of the boot? Man, no one's Travella at uh, <laughs> ten years old. Come on, Modric might have been. To be fair, to you know, you know, our friend Carl, that mm-hmm. you know, he he broke his foot when he was a young kid, and so everything he did was hitting the ball with the outside of the foot, passing no. on ninety five percent of all of his play, unless it was an intentional training drill where you pass with inside. Everything was the outside of the right because of just the way where he started playing soccer and it felt uh-huh. uncomfortable to hit with the inside so he had the nastiest right foot outside of all time he must have so he only touched the ball with the outside of his boot when he had the choice anytime you're doing like a long ball a driven pass a shot it's always coming off the outside of the boot that's nuts yeah what position did he play winger okay right wing right wing wow wow well, speaking of wingers, this week, the Belgian Messi, Eden Hazard, retired, Roy. Retired at age 32, not having played a match in the last four years. Yeah, I think he retired at 28. So, Well, there you go. Now it's official. Exactly. Now it's official. And it's then if you condense that career to the fact that he only played up till he was 28, basically, and just ran at people all the time got hit all the time but provided so much magic it's it's quite unreal and the fact that now he doesn't just like f off and and go to saudi and get a contract which probably he could have had he's like nah i have my fun i'm done he said no to saudi and the mls so there was rumors over this summer that one of the big mls clubs were going to make him like a cornerstone of the of the club similar Mm -hmm. to what we're seeing now with messi and he was he wasn't up for it so he wasn't even taking the gareth bell route where you play for six months a season make a lot of money endorsements hang out on the golf course and then peace out he just said it was good i mean good for him i i was i was riding with a with a friend of mine from belgium actually and they're all you know they had their moment that 2018 world cup where they thought they thought they could get it that was their chance right golden generation azad kind of carrying the team and and he wrote me he's like you know what? For a guy that just played for fun, of course, this within the context of a professional footballer, but for a guy that just played for fun, amazing that he made it that far. Also, because he's a guy that, you know, he was having his burgers, his pizza, he was having a laugh. He wasn't with this Haaland Mbappé, like straight on discipline, right? And he was still able to do what he did. He was a great player. And, you know, I, I can't find it. If I, if I do, I'll, I'll put it out there so you can put it on the socials. But it was a stat where... You know, a lot of people questioning why he retired so early for the, like you said, he got hit all the time, like mm-hmm. constantly. Um, some of it was his own doing because, you know, you don't know when to stop being cute and tricky. Like you said, he was out there having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're using, again, not the same type of player, but Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was a Man U days, getting hit nonstop, right. he learned 
that for the longevity and what he wanted to do, you need to adapt your game. And I don't, I don't think Eden Hazard cared. It was just kind of, this is what I do. This is how I'm going to do it. But the fact that he came onto the scene in France so early and then hit Chelsea, um, had a great time there. But by the time he was 24, he had played over 20,000 minutes of professional football in in matches. So for the first team, and I was, you know, trying to think like, wow, is that a lot? The next tweet essentially was at the time, by he was 24, Kaka had only played 8,000 minutes of professional football. <laughs> and that is why you see, yeah, you know, and I think we're going to start seeing this, you know, let's say five, six, seven years from now, you're going to start seeing players, same thing because of all these matches they're playing, friendlies, international friendlies, extra competition. Saka you know. plays, Saka and Bruno Fernandes, that was the stat, play easily 70 to 80 matches a year. Look what happened to Pedri. The memes a couple of years ago where he's drinking the water bottle playing for Spain. And it was uh-huh. like, I think it was 78th match of the season and he looked like a shell. I think he's been injured a lot in the last few months where he yeah. can't get a run of fitness and it's just you're wearing him down my one of my favorites you know talking about young players and overplaying them and how to use them Sokka is just a machine but the fact that he played 86 matches in the Premier League straight started 86 straight it's insane. and he limped off you know talking about Man City he limped off the two matches before and eventually just you know had a hamstring injury from just overuse and it's just an issue I think where we're going to start seeing players like you know knock on wood it's not somebody like Asaka or you're going to see a player that's explosive they play Mm -hmm. every match they start getting little injuries here and there but they just can't do it for as long as they want to and I think seeing the eras of the Ronaldo the Messi you know Tony Cruz, Modric, where they're playing Zlatan till they're mm-hmm. 40, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, I think or, we we didn't accept that those were huge exceptions, right? We're taking for granted now, okay, if you if you keep fit and have the right habits like Ronaldo and Messi and manage to stay injury-free, which, by the way, has also been insane that they managed to stay injury-free so long, then you can have that career. But now add, you know, 30% more games a year to that have you know one bad injury which in Hazard's case that was it right that Munir tackle which did his ankles in which he also never came back from I think we're gonna we're gonna get used to because it used to be you know back in the days the Marco van Bastens and stuff were basically done playing at 27 right like yeah. that's why that's why we're still conditioned for example when I talk to my father-in-law and he's a Spurs fan. And last year, he's like, yeah, well, Kane is over the hill. He's almost 30 because he's so conditioned to, you know, players don't make it that far. Whereas now, this generation is like, well, you can actually hit your prime around then if you do things right. But that's not yet factoring in how many matches an Mbappé has played now, already having played two World Cup finals at his age compared to his predecessors. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think Mbappe, though, the league he's in is a little more forgiving. I don't want to say say. Farmers League, but um, it's very interesting. But I do want to, I I know I sent you this, but I want to poke the bear a little bit because one of, again, bringing it back to Arsenal and this comparison on six sports, the best season of 
Eden Hazard versus Alexis Sanchez, just looking at the stats. So that season for Chelsea, I, Hazard, 52 games, 19 goals, 14 assists. Mm-hmm. Sanchez, 51 games, 30 goals, 20 assists. So why is it that we say Eden Hazard was one of the best in the world at the time, is it because of just the fact that the team around him was better performing or is I it just he, the way his, he went his about impact, it? His impact on those teams' results, the way he went about it probably as well, how electric he was in carrying them. Um, and then also the fact that, yes, and that was, I remember that Sanchez season was absolutely insane. It reminded me actually of Udinese Sanchez, which probably the kids today don't even know Sanchez's first stop in Europe was Udinese, by the way. Um, but I think Hazard, every season he was at Chelsea from 2012, basically to the end, even under Sarri at 2019, was on that level. Yeah. And that's, and going, that's the going crazy full part. circle with it. There was a season where Sanchez played, I don't know, whatever the, you know, in, in the South, South America Cup or whatever yeah, it was America, he, yeah. played a, he played a total of 78 matches that season and his his off season was a week and a half and there was that viral video of him just sprinting around on the beach when he was supposed to be relaxing and you know i think from that season onwards his body just fell apart same type explosive yeah. gets hit all the time um and he lost a bunch of like what he was good at pace being able to hustle everywhere and it was just sad to see and it just came from overplaying and overusing a player and he's he's still he's still there though right like he's a role player if you will at yeah, uh, he's been he's, he's a luxury been, player yeah he went inter so as a manual to inter yeah to marseille back to inter back to inter exactly i mean i'll take him as a as a luxury role player Coming off the bench, you know, when you need him for those last 10 minutes, maybe in Champions League, whatever, like Alexis Sanchez, why not? I'm, I mean, it'd be tough to watch him now after just how electric he was. Yeah. I haven't seen him play in a while, but. Well, that was for me a bit like, speaking of those early exploders, like watching Alexandre Pato in his last stints, uh, when I could remember what he was doing at 18 Is he still playing? I know last year he was playing for Orlando in the MLS, but not even, this is how, how far he fell. He wasn't even starting for them. So I didn't know he was playing for Orlando. Um, but then I, mean, I had he, seen he was coming off the bench for them. Last I remember was he was off in, uh, in China. And then, uh, and then actually last after Orlando, he went, uh, he went back to Brazil, uh, in, uh, he's at Sao Paulo now probably finishing up his career to be honest because what is he 33 34 he's from 1989 uh, the same crazy. generation as a player we're going to talk about later in this Ooh, all right so we'll take a break there listeners and then come right back with a little treat for some of you oh balotelli he's a striker He's good at darts. Analogy to grasp, but when he plays his fucking class, walks around my side with a wallet full of cash. Oh, Balotelli. Well, I think we can end on that. That was it. We're, we're talking about Balotelli. 
Yeah, we are talking about Mario Balotelli. That song sang by the Man City supporters during his stint there when he just became an absolute cool hero on Moss side and started everything at Man City. Literally everything. <laughs> we owe him on the Mario. map. Yeah. Yeah. So Roy, As a we're, jokester. we're finally here. We're finally oh, we're talking here. about Super Mario. The one, you know, guiding principle of this podcast is to give the people what they want. And what they wanted was Mario Balotelli. What everybody wanted was Mario exactly. Balotelli. Including us. I think since we've known each other, we've always discussed Mario Balotelli. And he's kind of a, a founding principle of our relationship. Yeah, and I think we had uh, differing views on Balotelli in terms of the player... You like to go emotional, the backstory, and I like to see what <laughs> my eyes are telling me on the field. Yeah, you're so, you're not about the vibes of the player. I'm not about not, the vibes. You're I'm coming about with one data, thing. You're telling me appearances, shots on goals, all this crap. Now expected exactly. goals. And I'm just like, you know, what did he make us feel? I don't care about the feelings. I want to look at the paper and say, did he do his job well? Yes or no? And I think we're going to get to the bottom of that today, but... I want you to, you know, let everyone get into the mind of Balotelli, the story, the emotion. Exactly. This is like, you know, appealing to to a jury of your peers, right? Let's win the jury over here. Let's let's appeal to their own in its sense of justice, if you will. Mario Balotelli Royo, who, by the way, let's start this by saying, 33 years old, is still playing in Turkey at Adana Demirspor. Cult club. Is that a is that one of the million clubs in Istanbul or No, actually it's not. It's a small town, I think, down in Antalya, no, South Coast, no. and he's just living the life. His second stint there. He went back. So there you go. Mario Balotelli today, but we're gonna go back to Mario Balotelli then. So go back. Super Mario, he's he's got a very interesting origin story, quite unique within the context, you know, of where he came up. And a lot of this will will be a theme, a red thread that carries through. He's born in Palermo, in Sicily, actually, to two Ghanaian parents. Uh, and at one point when they basically can't, you know, afford to maintain all the siblings, Mario Balotelli goes into foster care. Well, then Mar- Mario Barwu not yet Mario Balotelli, is taken into foster care by the Balotelli family when he's three years old, up north in Brescia. Brescia, also the town of Andrea Pirlo, Roy, one of your <laughs> hipster favorites there. And uh, favorites. And speaking of Andrea Pirlo, Mario grows up a supporter of the red and black of AC Milan. Poor guy. Well, not when he was a supporter. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> so he's um interesting aspect here, although being born in Italy, being adopted by an Italian family, only speaking Italian, only having ever lived in Italy, he's not actually allowed by Italian law to obtain citizenship until he's 18. So he's not going through the youth ranks of the Italian side until so he's he 18. Well, so he's playing at the at the club and regional levels, but he's not able to go through the youth ranks of the Italian Man. national side. Talk about the ultimate chip on your shoulder. Right? So wow. there it, it already starts. And, and this is Italian law where basically they only see citizenship as a bloodline, right? So 
this guy already there, not starting on an even footing, right? And uh, But there's something about him. There's something about him with the football where he finds himself already as a kid. And he actually gets a trial at Barca, Barcelona, when he's 15, at La Masia. And uh, talk about a sliding doors moment had he gone there. Um, but he doesn't make that trial. And he ends up, you know, when he's 16, signing with Inter, with the youth squad of Inter in 2006. Some kind of uh, red and black supporter, huh? Well, there you go. You you go where you go. I mean, I remember the the Baresi brothers way back. They were also from Brescia, and then one of them went to Inter, the other went to Milan. Uh, so, you know, you go where you go. You go where you go, and I think that's where, uh, as emotional as I am, you real know, quick, would you go yeah. to Inter if your uh, your whole family is the AC Milan supporters? Would you still go? <sighs> you know, why do you do this to me? Why do you do this? Because I know you. You'd say no. Of course, you I'd say no. You'd say no. I'd say I'd stay in Brescia. I'd make my career there. I mean, they have nice kids. <laughs> Yo-yo between City B and City A. You know, every ten years. Um, so he signs with Inter. He makes the journey over one hour from from Brescia to uh, to Milano. And then I remember in two thousand seven, at the age of seventeen, he debuts uh, under. Manci- Roberto Mancini and in his first cup game in Coppa Italia he actually scores a double right away and um, apparently at the time Mancini had been watching him since since the time he had you know arrived at Inter really takes him under his wing wants to put him into the squad very much starts to become to an extent a father figure one of his top believers um, in fact no coincidence that a couple years ago uh, when Balotelli is basically done for and off the deep end, Mancini still calls him up to the national team. So there's there's also the loyalty, but you know we'll get back to that. So Mario is there. There's something there's something different about him already when you see him in those cup games. Uh, and then I want I want you to tell me a bit how you remember him as a young player. But super dynamic number nine had the speed, had the touch, could finish could do set pieces, was you couldn't move him. He was so strong. That's what uh, I was going to say. Right. That's, you know, you, you said the speed, the touch, the strength was what I remember watching the first time he was at Man City, being hyped up, everything about it. Mm-hmm. And you're watching this guy and it's like, wow, this, uh, this is a grown man. And I think at the time he may have been 20, 21, and he was so strong back to goal, but being able to turn a center center half and just bully them. But they right. also have the the grace to, you know, dribble and move. I thought, wow, this guy is phenomenal. But he had a little bit of the the Theo Walcott's about him. And I guess I don't know if you want to dive into it, but mm-hmm. in terms of he can do ninety five percent of what he has to do and then he gets to goal and he wasn't as lethal as he could have been to set him to be an elite striker. Again, mm-hmm. watching a lot of them at Man City, that was his early days. He developed a little bit after that, but it was so much of the, just the raw talent. Right. Was just incredible. He had all, all the tools to to become, I think, you know, if we're using a today example, what almost an Erling Holland to to the same level. But say. I say maybe a little more tricky, a little more skills, 
Yeah. In terms of ball at his ball at his foot. Running with the ball as well, he could do, which, you know, maybe it's something Haaland will will throw into his game at some point, but right now I don't see it, for example. Yeah. Right. Um and that's that's the thing. This was kind of a when we look at strikers and we look at that era that was coming to an end there, it was really a transition period as well. And that's why Balotelli was standing out, guys like Pato also standing out, because we were used to the Insagis of the world, the the Rauls from, yeah, uh, Raul. from Real Madrid. I mean, totally different type of game that's, Close. that's coming to the fore, right? Yeah. They could yeah, do those... one, they could do one thing, finish in the box. They weren't sprinting, you know, long distances, linking up with other players. It was right place, right time, finisher. Yeah. Boom. And so that's that's where we find Balotelli very much as kind of a, a breath of fresh air, still at Inter at the time, right? And uh, once Mancini, you know, as usual, has his disagreements with the club, ends up leaving, um, which has been a theme now, you know, still basically 20 years later with his career, as we've seen recently. Um, in steps, Roy, your favorite manager of all time, right, which is Jose Mourinho, for two <laughs> years at Inter. So... Oh. Balotelli is now, he's 18 and he's coming into the opportunity of a lifetime into the the two years of probably the best Inter team ever, which goes on to win the treble in that next season. Obviously, there's other guys there. There's Eto'o, because at this point, right, the first season, there's even Slatan, right? Then yeah. he ends up having Eto'o, Diego Milito, all these kind of, if you will, striking mentors, right? And he's got uh, Jose Mourinho there, who, although, you know, maybe not the, the striker whisperer necessarily, although he claimed to be in that Tottenham documentary when, when having the conference with Harry Kane. <laughs> um, so he has this great opportunity, but there's other things start to come out about Balotelli, right? And he starts to, that period starts to be overshadowed by disciplinary issues, right? Being late to trainings. Then there's the famous Mourinho story where Mario, Mario gets a yellow a card. Yellow? I <laughs> yeah. love that story. Gets the yellow card towards the end of a match against Ruben Kazan or something. Towards the end of the first half. Oh, against first Ruben half, Kazan. yeah. yeah. Um, they, they come into the locker room and, uh, and Mu, I mean, half the squad is out injured and he spends, as he says, 14 of the 15 minutes he has available just telling Mario... Don't do anything the whole second half. Be a mannequin. You cannot get a second yellow card. They come back out. Minute 46. Boom. boom. Love <laughs> it. Second Love yellow. it. Um, and that, in a way, this narrative started to form, you know, around the disciplinary issues. And then you started to see also a bit this darker side where he was getting a lot, a lot of criticism for his young age and for how little he played from the media. Uh, a lot of it about his his apparent work ethic, which I don't know how anybody genuinely knew anything about it, but then a lot of it from opposing fans. And some of the worst type of, for example, racist abuse. Yeah. And put it on a 20-year-old, right, uh, at the time. And this is something that unfortunately follows Balotelli his whole career in any moment where he dips in form, especially on Italian soil. So, yeah, it's terrible. Exactly. And that's a bit what one of the big questions we'll probably, you know, touch upon during this is also, was Balotelli maybe born, you know, in the wrong country 
we're so close-minded when it comes, you know, to race, and let's just say it racist, that he didn't have this environment to really, you know, be able to fulfill his potential in peace. Could be, but I... I mean, we. I think we would need to go talk about the next step in the journey yeah. from Inter. He goes to Man City, follows Mancini, and this is where like, I think, you know, taking apart, taking, pulling aside essentially what he experienced early age in Italy, which is terrible, and unfortunately still happens to players like today, Lukaku, for example, yeah. is... Um, the first one that comes to mind, and it's it's awful. But he goes to Man City with with a team with strikers of Edin Dzeko and yeah. Sergio Aguero. Aguero comes the next season as well. So again, he's he he's coming here into a project, right? He's following. Yeah. It's Mancini that brings him there. There's no question about that, right? And he's coming with a decent amount of high pay. This is our new kind of Italian striker. This is what we're going to build Man City around. Don't forget, there's also another famous golfer on the team at the time, Carlos Tevez. Yeah. I, I, as I was thinking, like, who did I forget? There's always a fourth striker. Because I remember at that time, right. that one season thinking or remembering, like, they had so many options offensively. And it was between, like, the two the two pairs of the strikers they would use Tevez Aguero Jacko Balotelli and then always you know trying to fit Balo into the team right exactly and it is a city which starts at that stage to be star studded they're clearly going for something but it's not the city the environment in no. terms of world class infrastructure training grounds all is not there yet the support system is not there it's just really Roberto Mancini is the football mind there uh who's definitely not Pep Guardiola at his peak don't get me wrong but there's nothing around it uh it's still by far the second club of Manchester and not one where you know a 20 21 year old can just come in and focus on his football oh I com- this is where I disagree what about in it? terms of he's leaving I mean this is the Let's put aside new country and the fact that for some reason Italians in the Premier League never seem to settle. 20 years old also. Okay, 20, 21. He was there for a few seasons, right? Yeah. But there's no, there's nothing aside from the English media, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek. Right. He's not expected to win anything. The pressure's not on him. Like you said, do you forget... Tevez, what no. that guy experienced and all the pressure on him and the players there, where he's 20, he gets to learn from some of the best strikers. And maybe at the time, Ed Jekka wasn't considered one of the best, but I think longevity and what people emerging. think of him now, emerging, although I think he was probably like 25 at the time. He's, he's still old, around. He's I, still, like, yeah, he's an old dude. But this is where I think we we diverge. I think he he does it to himself. Where what we think of Super Mario, it starts to unfold here. You know the fireworks in the hotel, <laughs> in the bathroom, in the bathroom of the like. This is you're you're not like a you know a high schooler going or somebody in college. Like this is your job, and you're around professionals. There wasn't I maybe I'm wrong. There weren't other characters in that locker room that were just wild 
you know, crazy players that were feed, like he was feeding off that energy. Right. Right. Um, and it wasn't like he was back home or maybe he had local friends or the support system there that were kind of egging him on to do all this thing. Like he had the chance of a lifetime. He, he got to be under Mourinho and maybe take a step back and say like, Hey, why did that not work out for me uh-huh. when everybody else, it worked out for everybody else? So now you have the father figure Mancini there, right? Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. I think let him get away with maybe too much or didn't protect him in the he, eyes of the he media. He had special treatment as well. I mean, he was the one player that Wayne Bridge was talking about this a couple of weeks ago that was allowed to show up on his phone in the middle of a training, you know, two hours late yeah, to the yeah. training and Mancha would let him get away with it, even though they would fight a little bit about it first. Yeah, and that I think maybe comes down to I don't know, just maybe kind of like you know, it's your fellow fellow Italian, just right. some pride there, and he's making the journey, taking a step back. He knows he's young, but at the same time, you know, you've got to have some kind of self awareness if you're Paulo that right. what's what's unfolding is not going to be sustainable. It seems. And from your angle, in that sense, and what what you see with a lot of these guys, it's the stupidity of some of the things he was doing was that self-sabotage in a way, right? Like he just felt, I have to feel something. Why else would you in your camo Bentley drive around with 5,000 pounds in cash in your passenger seat? And when he was stopped by the copper, he said, and he asked him, why do you have that there? And he just answered, because I'm rich. I mean, yeah. Like, and so this is, somebody's this is just where... trying to feel something. Exactly. And this is where I go to the talent. He, it was a lot of potential, mm-hmm. but he wasn't good enough on the field to get away with those antics. He had a couple of moments, you know, obviously I think we're going to talk about right. why always me. Well, why always me? Because you did it to yourself. It wasn't like you're getting caught in these situations that could have like, that were unavoidable. They were just completely maybe boredom or didn't take it seriously. But the the on-field performances don't match, for me, the baggage that comes comes along with him at this time in Man City. When you could have put in yeah. Aguero, Jekko, I don't think they ever had, you know, disciplinary issues. No, or Aguero didn't drum. even learn didn't didn't even learn English in ten years in the Premier League. That's the kind of striker I want. You're <laughs> yeah. not even committing to the culture. You're there just to score goals and perform. <laughs> You're not paying me to learn the language. Um, exactly. And at the the why always me celebration, that one's interesting. And that comes after after he scores when City beats Man U six one, which at the time unheard of, right? Yeah. You you see it today, you'd be like, well, maybe they could have scored a couple more. Yeah. Um but it comes after that, and I think a lot of that is driven by he did stupid things. But then the English media, what they do is they take stupid things and they five X them, right? So then there started to also be a lot of rumors around it. You feed the beast, and this thing just just keeps going. On the other hand, he didn't really let it break him, right? Because he did still have these moments of utter brilliance on the pitch. For example, the goal with the shoulder on the line. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the arrogance, right? But do you, do you remember that that the Man City preseason when they were in? Uh, I think they were playing LAFC. Or sorry, the Galaxy, LA Galaxy at the time. Yeah, yeah. The preseason, the the back heel open goal. He tried back heeling into the goal and missed the goal. 
And it's like that. minute 20 and Mancini subs him off and is yelling at him on the sideline and he tells him to fuck off back to Mancini. I, and I don't know which, which season this was. If I'm the, the manager, he's never playing a game for me again after that. A single match. And this is where, <laughs> let's, let's just dive into the time in Man City. So you said there's these brilliant moments. The right. shoulder, the, yeah. the why always me. Yeah, the so six out of one. the three seasons of Man City follow, 70, 70 matches. That's all he played in the league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 20 goals, or what was it? 21 goals and three assists. And not starting most of those 70 matches, I believe, though. No, not starting, but the fact, you know. Yeah, still potential up here to the stars, right? But actual delivery... Not bridging yeah. that gap yet. You're, yeah, you're starting. You're starting to tick up, though, right? You're not a kid anymore. You're right. you're four or five years as a pro, six years as a pro, and those are average striker stats, right? But then, what are they? You know, there is something that these guys are also seeing in training, and you hear about it from the anecdotes at the time that say, "Okay, this guy." This guy is talented. This guy has something. We've got to put him in those last 20, 30 minutes, right? And then, you know, he does contribute outsize. And this is what makes him still to this day a cult hero for the for the fans of Man City, right? They get to that FA Cup final, which I believe was actually, I think it was against Stoke City at the time. Don't ask me how the Potters made it to... Uh, to to the to the FA Cup final at the time. But he's man of the match when they win that first big title, right? And then a year later, 2012, Aguero, 3-2 against QPR. That was He's wild. delivering the winning assist. Okay, but it wasn't like a crazy assist. No, no, it wasn't. But, you know, he could have shot it into the rafters himself, right? So, but that's the moment. And I think that's the moment where then people start to think and say, okay, you know what? Maybe he's turning, you know? Maybe he's he's maturing. Right. Yeah. And then we come into that summer, the summer of 2012, which I think is basically this is the stretch we come into, which is peak Balotelli. This is peak. Rel- relative peak Balotelli, Euro 2012. He's the only real striker Italy has, and he plays in this combo with Antonio Cassano, the cookie monster up front. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about disciplined players, uh, and they just understand each other. Uh, Balo playing for Cesare Prandelli was the coach at the time, also a fellow guy from Brescia, Pirlo in the midfield. And he's the only, again, real number nine, keeping the team high every match. And iconic performance in the semifinal where he does a double against Germany with also probably one of the most historic celebrations ever after the second goal. It was fantastic. And a little backstory about this game for me personally. So I remember that summer I was watching all the games in the Euro. There was a horrible storm that came through where I was, Mm -hmm. you know, staying. I was a counselor that summer at a a camp and we couldn't watch any of the the last, you know, three, four matches. There was no power. So we went to um, essentially like a a pay phone that was, that had power and my friend was asking his grandma, who lived like an hour away, if she had power at her place. Obviously, she answers the phone. So, yeah, I have cable. <laughs> I have power. So, me and my buddies, we drive an hour on our day off from work to sit on this couch while 
um, you know, his grandma was giving us food and everything and we're watching this goal. And then the second goal, like you said, Balotelli scores. I remember it just everybody on the couch. We're not Italy supporters, Germany supporters. We just want to watch a good match and everybody's standing up and all like, oh my gosh, like yeah. that moment. Well, Neuer then, doesn't even move. Yeah. And then you think they're going all the way. This oh, guy is, this guy is unstoppable. The, the aura that he had at the time was just insane. And there's no media attention on him like there is in the EPL. And right. you think this is it. Like, you know, Spain had their 2010. No way they can. Exactly. On the biggest stage. On the biggest stage, he seems to be rounding a corner to be delivering. Uh, And I was watching that match with with my brother and my dad in a restaurant, like on this TV. And I remember we we went nuts, you know. And we went into that final, you know, thinking we're going to win. And guess who's going to score? Balotelli is going to score. Ah, 4-0. Didn't happen. Didn't Didn't happen. happen. 4-0 for Spain. Spain caps probably one of the most historic runs in of any national side two euros in a world cup in four years yeah that was that was a lot that was a lot and balotelli i remember at the end of the match devastated uh in tears uh going straight to the locker room then coming back out to you know have heartedly collect his medal and it felt already there at the time and this is how quickly it turns that he was getting a lot of the blame for in air quotes, his attitude during the final, right? So he performs up until then in the tournament. He carries that team, which was not one of the greatest Italy teams. And then here's the blame right back in your face right away, right? The harsh realities that that would follow him the rest of his career, right? Whenever there was a dip in form for a team, Balotelli is the one to blame. Economic crisis in the country, Balotelli is the one to blame, whatever it was, right? Um... But that was really that goal, taking the shirt off, the flexing of the muscles against Germany, a superior Germany team, which then goes on to win the World Cup two years later. That's Peak Balotelli, that image right there. Yeah, I think that's gone. And um, he's had a couple of celebrations actually that have been gone, like gone down in football cult status. Remember, he's at Marseille, he does the selfie oh, with brilliant. the phones in the crowd. Brilliant. Um, you know why I always made the flex and that yeah. flex, like you can see that meme everywhere. Like it's incredible. <laughs> and, and because his whole thing at the time was Mario, why do you never celebrate? Oh, I, don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I can't stand that. That's such a, I, it feels like, do such you remember a his answer? Do you remember? Yeah, his like, answer? Does a mailman celebrate when he delivers the mail? Yeah, or he something says, like I'm that. just doing my job. So then the, the memes that came out after the flex, or the best of all time, because it was basically a mailman <laughs> as Balotelli with the mailman hat on. <laughs> I celebrating. I would I would uh I'd love in a hypothetical scenario, like Nick, I'll give you five million dollars if you score, but you can't celebrate. And you know, I don't think you would get a single penny for a full season. If you oh, score, no, let's I, say twenty goals, I couldn't control even a garbage time. This you'd be one of the guys, a garbage time goal to go up four on one instead of three one. 
he would put the the hand behind the ear and rile up the other the opposition fans. I'd to feel something. I'd shush my own fans in the home stadium, Roy. You already know. Um, but at the time, well, one of your favorite players of all time never celebrated goals, Thierry Henry. Right, and his logic was was similar, although he didn't use the mailman analogy, which I think is brilliant PR. Whoever fed that to Mario, unless Incredible. he came up with it himself. Um, I never see my mailman. You know, the mail just shows up, but maybe he does celebrate. I don't know. Well, we'll never know. <laughs> Not having it. But yes. Um, and he rarely shushed the fans, Balo. He just wouldn't smile after he scored. Yeah, when he does smile in some of those uh, goals that you see on highlights, it is does look a little weird. Now right? that you know, like some of the, like, the bigger moments, he didn't really do much. Um, even some of the goals he scores, he looks sad. I think we we know the one with AC Milan where he just hits the ball mm. like it was dead and he hits it like 25, 28 yards out, goes in and it like it looked like they were trying to cheer him up. They were smacking him in the head, the teammates, and he just walks back to, yeah. to the kickoff. Yeah. yeah. And so that summer, Balotelli then enjoys his holiday, comes back to Man City and... For, for actually what ends up being his last half season there, because it's fireworks with Mancini. All of a sudden, father figure and Balo even getting into fights and training. Mancini falling out with everybody at the time, even Carlos Tevez, who refused to come back to training, uh, stayed golfing in Argentina for like an entire stretch of season at one Fantastic. point. Fantastic. Uh, so there is also something there about the fiery character that Mancini is, which I don't think, for example, the English-speaking media has touched upon enough. And I think the... Uh, the Italian media forgave him for basically everything once he won the Euro, only to now throw him and run him over with the bus a few times for for going to Saudi a couple months ago. <laughs> as, as you do, Roy nodding here approvingly. Um, so yeah, that half season. And then Roy, at the time, I don't know if you remember, you and I were living together and all of a sudden, January transfer window, nothing ever really used to happen. Uh, and while you were daydreaming about Cabani going to Arsenal. It was so close. <laughs> it was right there. Something actually happens that transfer window. And I go nuts. I couldn't control myself. Balotelli came home back to the red and black. Do you remember, and maybe you don't, how you told me? No, didn't I like draw little signs up in the room or something at one point? It maybe started, it was after you scored. It started with... You whisp the whisper. I think Balo's coming to. He's coming home. I said, "Wait, no, he's not. No one's. He's not going anywhere." Say, like, oh, he's coming home. He's coming home." The next day, you're looking at your, you know, computer. You're on the Italian news. It's happening. It's happening. And it's like we don't know. There's nothing on the, the BBC or anything. And then one day, I walk in after a long day at class, and you have your arms up. And you just scream, Super Mario! And you're just cheering like crazy. You want to go to the FIFA game and you're like, I want to change and put Balotelli on Milan. And it's like, okay, like, it's not, it's a January transfer. It can't oh, be that great. God. Oh, God. For some reason, uh, I wiped that from my memory. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I was just waiting for you in the room to yell at Oh, It man. was just my pure hatred that. Edison Cavani was on his way to the Emirates for about three and a half seasons straight. And all of a sudden you get a striker 
Exactly. Exactly. And I had to rub it in, right? What ends up happening is he comes to Milan all of a sudden and from the first match right away. I think it's a two goals in the first match. He does that second half of the season, scoring 13, 14 goals. Penalties also. Not missing a penalty. At the time, he was one of the, should we say, one of the deadliest penalty takers in the yeah. game. Ice cold. I mean, I think today the the myth is that he's never missed a penalty. Like, spoiler, he's missed, I think, five in his career, right. but still. Pepe Reina saved his first penalty ever. Wow. Pepe Reina. Salt and pepper Reina. And uh, so he does this incredible second half of the season. Milan stages a comeback. They had started that season horribly. I'm, well, you remember from how many things I was throwing around the room at the time. Um, and uh, <laughs> and he carries them to a third place finish, which in that season was actually what you needed to to get into Champions League uh, in uh, in Italy. And it's Balotelli mania in Italy. All of a sudden. Everything is forgiven. The Milan fans love him. He seems to be in the right place. He's showing up to training that next summer, totally, totally ripped and and roaring and ready to go. He goes to the Confederations Cup with Italy in a leading role uh, that summer. And then the next season is a lot of ups and downs. Manager changes amongst them. Allegri gets sacked. Clarence Seedorf, patron saint of the podcast, comes in. Uh, and that doesn't really work out either. And he's, let's face it, that's when Milan starts to go into this period where they are one of the worst Milan teams ever for the next three to four Is years. that where you had Fabio Barini? He he ends up coming. He ends up coming. Uh, not with Mario, but he ends up coming. Um, and that's, uh, that says a lot of it, that Fabio Borini at one point where he was not playing as a striker, was not playing as a winger, was playing as a right back for AC. Oh. Yeah. Um, but this is not about Fabio Borini. This is about Super Mario Balotelli. That second season filled with ups and downs. We are quite Balotelli. Milan is quite Balotelli dependent at that moment. There's not much else around. There's a, I don't remember, 32-year-old Kaká who comes back for that season. Uh, and they get to play together. Not much happens. Uh, it's a very nostalgic Milan team. Actually, the last season they played Champions League before coming back into it three seasons ago. But then we get to the big stage. Brazil, summer of 2014, Mario's first World Cup. And since Italy nowadays just declines to participate in World Cups (laughs) routinely, Mario's last World Cup. Italy... I don't know how much you remember about this, but first match, they play England. They win 2-1. Balo scores in the humidity of Manaus. The the toughest match in the group. And everyone, okay, you know, Italy's a contender, right? Yeah. They're going to go for it. Pirlo playing just totally rejuvenated, right? Everything is clicking. What a team. The next match, they play Costa Rica. And they lose 1-0. I remember that. And the thing is, Costa Rica had beaten Uruguay in their first match. So now, Costa Rica has qualified for the next round, and there's only one spot left. So Italy goes into its last match in a horrible situation, having to play Uruguay. And, well, Suarez might have bitten a fellow dirty player in Giorgio Chiellini. Uh, He had some marks on his shoulder that he was showing the referee. 
Godin scores. Uruguay goes through. Italy is out in the group stage of the second World Cup in a row. And everything afterwards, from videos about the plane ride back to stuff being talked about in terms of what was happening at the training ground in the locker room, the media creates a public enemy number one. And who is that public enemy number one? Who is allegedly responsible for the fiasco at the World Cup, Roy? Super Mario. Not so Super Mario. And we've we've hit peak Balotelli, and now we start to go into quite a low point of his career. Yeah, I, I think that's an understatement. So after that, where does he go? He goes AC Milan. He, he, he goes... Um, he goes to Liverpool. On but, loan or purchase? No. Milan is able to sell him off uh, that summer. And uh, he goes to Liverpool. Not and much happens that season. I would say nothing happens that season. A bad I think he haircut, scores one a league bad goal. haircut from Balotelli. Yeah. One after another. <laughs> scores the, one league goal. Seems to be a bit overweight. And then the next August, what happens? He comes back to Milan on loan. Yeah. And... This Nothing is where I happened. think it really falls. Yeah. It falls down pretty dramatically. Because at the time, he's also not wanted back in Milan by the fans or by his squad members. And this Milan team now that he comes to in that season has just finished 10th in the league under Filippo Inzaghi. So that's yeah. what he's coming to. He's set up for failure, essentially. Um, and again, the low point, he's out of the national team. He's he's not loved. He's he's not the mailman anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, after another season, all of a sudden we have a battle renaissance, Roy. Never count him out. And where do we have this renaissance of all places? In Ligue 1, your nice. favorite league in Nice. So he goes to the French Riviera vibes. Yeah. So he leaves on a free transfer from Liverpool to Nice, where he's there for another three seasons. And this is where I think the Renaissance starts to come back. He starts to perform a little bit. And, you know, I don't want to base it on transfer value, but by the time after those three seasons he leaves to Marseille, his value's back up to twenty million. By so the way, almost... Nice to Marseille, not a not a transfer to be taken lightly. Balotelli had to feel something there too. And he leaves on another free. So I think there's a little bit of a pattern here where, you know, for whatever he's doing on on the pitch, a little bit of a renaissance, there's still something there where he's he's either not committing, the club's not committing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, at least, I can't recall of any disciplinary issues, um, just some crazy haircuts that come along the way when he's yeah. in his time there. The, the Mohicans all around, but it seems that, that he settles a bit in a way while he's in France, right? There is not the whole media circus of Italy or England following him around anymore. And it seems that he kind of does, finally, the mailman does his job, scores the goals, uh, is, uh, and, and he seems to have found himself. And then in the summer of 2019, he makes a huge mistake. And yep. probably he the worst back. thing he could have done, right? Yeah. He comes he, home. Uh, he leaves. He goes to Brescia. Yeah, he goes to newly promoted Brescia, his hometown club. Everything is romantic. It lasts about a couple months before the first racist abuse starts from Verona supporters. And this is what 
this is when when they ask Carlo Ancelotti, do you want to come back and coach in Italy? And he answers, hell no, I shouldn't even have done it to Napoli. And the reason he gives is, I don't need to, at my age, be insulted for 90 minutes on end every match anymore. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it was, it felt like almost wildfire. Like you see it in the news every week. Right. Right. And it's, you know, you're a newly promoted club, not a good team to begin no. with. And he doesn't last after a season. No. And so. then it's, uh, it's Monza in Serie B the next year. It's Monza then- Serie B. Yeah. In the January, not even the full year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, obviously, like, you know, he was without a club. Yeah, and, for half a season at least. And that would have been 29, 30 years old. So that's the peak right there, right? Yeah. Without yeah. a club. And then Monza for half a season. Yeah. And, and then, then goes uh, to Turkey. And then he goes to this Adana Demispor club nobody's ever heard of until until Mario goes there and he has a heck of a season double yeah. digits again in terms of goals uh seems to has have found himself and that's kind of the last you know goal fireworks we hear from Mario and, then it's go ahead and that's the yeah sorry that's the last of the fireworks and we're wrapping up his the teams but Volpi did you catch who his agent was Oh, the whole ride. Yeah, Mino Raiola. And why do you think he leaves on freeze and <laughs> goes from club to club you have your to answer. club? You have your answer, huh? I mean, that's... And so this is, where, this is where I think I want to talk about the story of was Balotelli, did he fulfill his potential? Did we let him down as fans? Did he let us down? Mm-hmm. Or did somebody in his system let him down? So I'm not going to talk ill about Mino Raioli, passed away, all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also Slatan's agent, right, for all those Slatan's agent, Erling Haaland's agent. Yeah. All these big players, but they all have the same, the players all seem to have the same fiery personality, personality about them. Mm-hmm. And it's this agent, I feel, that builds that you are bigger than the club mentality like Uh you are the asset they can't do anything without you and feeding that to a Balotelli at a young age I think is deadly it's the whole the the good side of that coin is what they call in the NBA player empowerment the bad side of the coin is James Harden right now right and that's that's where Iola's players yeah and but he also got them everything they wanted and more so it was kind of a you know flip of the coin how it's going to end out for for the player. The agent's always going to come out on top. So flip of the coin for the player. And I don't know where you wanted to take this conversation, but we talked about the story, right? Yeah. The emotional journey, the talent that was there, in my opinion, never fulfilled said talent. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. And I know that at one point he was getting a lot of muscle injuries and I'm surprised you didn't mention this, mm. he was not fond of stretching. Of stretching? He was not fond of stretching. And I remember this was a Mancini being mad because Balotelli couldn't play the full 90 for a few matches. And one of the press conferences I remember I was watching, and he was like, 
the reason he's not out here, he doesn't take care of himself. He doesn't stretch. Um, and then like magic, the next the next uh, pregame when they're showing all the players warming up, they're just focused on Balotelli and everyone's doing the, you know, kick the leg out, hands to the ground, stretch the hamstring. And he's not even going past his knee with his hands, just kind of like he's just putting laughing. it there. Yeah. And the, there was no mobility in terms of flexibility and everything, mm. which I think plays a plays a part, right? Into how you're setting up yourself for long term success, longevity. That's what um, separates then, the greats, right? Is those little yeah, details ultimately. Little details, which he just overlooked, and mm-hmm. um, I think that that plays into the the mindset of why. The media built him out to be to be the guy, to be somebody who was a better striker than what he actually was. Uh-huh. And I think it's because of the way his early career trajectory just so happened to play out. He was under Mourinho. He was under Mancini at the time when Man City was, you know, spending laying the foundations billion dollar plus into, you know, essentially the playground that Pep would would play in. Uh-huh. He hopped around. And I think once he got to Liverpool, the the aura was dying off. You know, if he was really, really, really that good, would he be on a free to Nice? It's just the fact that clubs yeah. that maybe had, you know, they needed a X factor. Why would I want to bring in that potential downside? So you could say everything about like, oh, the media is building him up to be this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he did those things. Yeah. He did the fireworks yeah. in the in in the bathroom, like <laughs> with Micah Richards. Yeah, and it's you. If I'm a manager, is any talent worth the risk if they're 27, 28? You know, if you're, he ended up at Brescia, newly promoted, right. in their wildest dreams. If they had the pure talent of Mario Balotelli going there, he doesn't go there, even if no. it's a hometown it's club. It's he true. goes somewhere where he could be at least Europa, Champions League, you know. It's just, and I think maybe a little bit of, you know, I know it's agent everything. Look at the leagues he ended up in. He didn't end up in La Liga at any point or Germany. Germany is probably known for the the strictness of the league, right? There's right. not a lot of, it's very systematic. They're it's very, very like, German. Very German. He doesn't end up there. Not no. in um, a team that's going through any kind of change. He ends up in Turkey, a league that, you know, out of, outside of Istanbul, I'm not sure how intense those fans are. You know, for all the Turkish listeners there, I know that's not the case, but uh-huh. um, not the most powerful league. And then he goes to Nice, which was a low risk, you know, high reward. Then he goes to Marseille. Yeah. I think that was a little too under the spotlights for him. Um, Still scores in half the scores. matches, right? Yeah, scores in half the matches, but yeah. Uh, then he but I leaves. think you're, you're on to something with it, right? Because I think a, a big aspect of this is he's not told at that early age, when, when he comes onto the scene, when he bursts onto that scene, there is nobody there to tell him, okay, you need to be disciplined. You need to do your stretches. You need to do this and that. He's told, hey, you've already arrived. And that's why then he goes off and does stupid things, right? Like yeah. just to feel something, to self-sabotage. Yeah. And so this is where I have, I I do have trouble saying like, oh, he was one of the great strikers of that generation or he- We can't. We can only say he was one of the great talents, I think, of that generation, right? Yeah, talents. And so I, I think to round this out, and I want your opinion, I don't know, 
I know we talked about it a little bit. I want to compare him to um, one of my favorite strikers, simply by the name Chiro Immobile. Mm. Same exact age. I think yeah. Immobile is a little bit older. Six months apart. Six months apart. Somewhat similar in terms of they bounced around a little bit. Immobile stays probably 80% of his time in Italy. So he mm-hmm. goes, you know, Siena, Juve, Pescara, back to Juve. Then he goes to Torino where I think he he has a great season in breakout. 2013. Breakout yeah. season. And so what does Dortmund try to do? Uh, Borussia Dortmund to find the next Robert Lewandowski. They buy him. He flops at Dortmund. Uh-huh. They loan him out to Sevilla and Spain. Doesn't work. Uh-uh. Doesn't work at all. Bounces a little bit. Then in 2016, he finds himself at Lazio. And he's been there since. So that's just a quick talking about Immobile. There's no one, unless you're a true football fan, really talks about this guy, right? right. Maybe the, the vibes in Italy are a little different, but... Just I the remember, Lazio fans. I remember, and you'll you'll deny this, I remember saying, this guy is really good when he was at Torino. And you're like, it's... It's Syria. Anyone could score a goal in Syria. But he had like <laughs> 25, 26 goals for that Torino team yeah. who were not good. And I was just watching those highlights, you know, saying like, this is the re- this is a good striker. He needs to go to the Premier League. Doesn't end up like that. But at the, where they're at now, mm-hmm. I just want to read the total stats of all the leagues they've been in. You know, yeah, it's starting at six. Yeah, aggregate. So, Balotelli, 474 matches over the course of over 10 years is not good, by the way. Can we agree on that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, there's well, something there. Years, I think, right? It, okay, yeah. There, there's something there where, you know, injuries, blah, blah, blah. Um, 474 matches, 201 goals, 43 assists, and that's comes out to a goal or an assist every 151 minutes. Mm-hmm. So almost like, a, you know, probably like, what, 40% or so goal right? Goal ratio? Right. So, I'd sign up for it. Yeah. So you'd sign up for that. And let's go look at Immobile, who around the same exact, again, same age, professional matches, 559, 320 goals, 73 assists, mm. a goal or an assist every 130 minutes. And let's, there's that overall stat. So let's talk about yeah. Sir, Syria. Let's do a head to head real quick at Syria. Uh-huh. Uh, the okay. matches are a little bit different, right? I'm on. But it's the ratio. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about the ratio. Syria, where you started this saying, Balotelli came back was so good for 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 AC Milan he he gets us there so 141 matches mm-hmm. 52 goals 18 assists yes that's a hundred at a contribution every 173 minutes mm-hmm. so you're almost what two matches and he'll do something mm-hmm. immobile granted much much more games under his belt in Syria. 329 matches, 196 goals and 50 assists. 
So that comes out to a contribution every 131 minutes. Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about Bolatelli being that level of talent when he doesn't deliver it? When there is somebody who, you know, over delivered consistently and still is that probably a higher level? Yeah, but that's what, exactly why we're talking about it because Balo could we, have been could have been these immobile numbers. But this is why I don't. I mean, I do. I have said, you know, I I like talking about it. Yeah, but we should. The media needs to be talking about the, <laughs> the players media, the that are doing media. it. That are doing it. Immobile is doing it at a high level consistently and doesn't get the flowers he deserves because he's not. He doesn't have the flashy or. The, the cult of the personality that Balotelli has, which I think, on one hand, you know, I don't know how much money either of them has made in their career, but I'm sure Balotelli has been able to, um, you know, feed to the upside on his uh-huh. earnings based on the cult of personality sure. versus what Immobile has done. But um, the, the thing about Immobile, and this is what it comes down to, first off, who am I going to tell my grandkids about is going to be Balotelli because he made me feel something. Immobile, okay, scored a lot of goals on Lazio. Cool. Did he win anything? Did he do anything on the big stage? He didn't. You even look at their numbers with the Italian national team. Oh, we want to look at the Italian national team? Yeah. Now give me the ratio on those because I have it right here in front of me. All right, all right. Well, I don't know the actual ratio. ratio. Let me see. So 36 matches for Balotelli at Italy, 14 goals. On the national team, that's good. Okay, yeah. And then that was, sorry, his debut in 2010. Yeah. Immobile doesn't debut until 2014. Mm-hmm. 57 matches, 17 goals. Right. Only three more goals than him, 20 more matches. And that's a lot of the that's a lot of the criticism right, right. he gets, right, is around that big state. I'm not going to argue that no, I'm Mario not, I, I, has the, only, the goals, The only right? thing I want to, uh, yeah. to add there, Italy 2014 onwards has been quite shit on the international stage. You could say, well, they did win. They did win a Euro. Immobile was in that team. Didn't 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 perform though. Wasn't but, he hurt? Yeah, well, he had that uh, that fake injury where he did the Sergio Busquets like uh, peekaboo <laughs> <laughs> against Belgium. I think. Um, I think the. Yeah, I think. Look, the the big thing with with Mario for me is, and I like how you put Immobile there is side by side is, that could have been. So, but that who do you take? Been, Mario. Who do I who take? Do take? Who do you take if Roy? I'm a romantic. I'm a romantic. My, do my I take the boring smoke, guy that scores a lot for a mid market team? Smoke you out of the water with your romanticism. Oh man, you you and your data. I think that's um, yeah. I mean, it's a great comparison. I, uh, the thing that strikes me as odd is I don't actually look at those guys as having come from the same era. Because if you think about it in a way, and this is this is the absurdity of it, is by the time Immobile is playing his first Serie A season, which is, I believe, the 2012 season, yeah, we've already known Mario for five or six years. Mario's already in his third season in the Premier League. So one of them emerges as the other one is finishing, but somehow these guys are the same age? That's nuts. It's crazy. It's and crazy. That, that says a lot. So I'm glad you brought up that example because it's like it is astonishing to think, you know, 
what the careers could have been. And and to be fair to Immobile, he could have been finished after that Dortmund move. Like he bounced back, boy did he, on a team where he's the he's the guy though, right? Yeah. It's like when well, we would talk I, about I mean, yeah. I thought that Dortmund team with him as striker. I personally I was like, oh, they're on to something here. They had Marco Royce. They had some players there. Obama Yang, your guy. Obama Yang, yeah. Who's also, I wanted to make that comparison. They're around the same age as well. but He's at Marseille now too. Yeah. Yeah, well. Kind of the same cult of the personality, right? Yeah. Yeah, you could say. You could say. I mean, that year at uh, at Chelsea, you love that. Obama Yang's year at Chelsea. Seeing that when Arsenal beat them and him just sitting on the bench. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's... um, I'm just staring here at the stats between uh, Barotelli and Immobile. And, you know, I, I'm about the emotions in football, and I start to get sad. I start to get sad. What do you name your What do you name your kid? Mario or Chiro? <laughs> just Balo. Yeah, Balo. <laughs> and that one's for you, Roy. Hey, any parting shots for our listeners on on the legend, the, the enigma, the what could have been of Super Mario Balotelli? No, he wouldn't make my team if I was a manager. Man, this uh, these are these are okay. The we're not going to get into it, but you could not man manage that player. You no. personally, could he was not. called. He was in fact called by Jose Mourinho unmanageable. It's a player. <laughs> so there you have it. I love it. Oh, I love it. We're better to end than that, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to coming to you with much more content like this. He's Roy Cycli. I'm Nicola Volpi. Write us in with what you want in the future. Take care. Peace.